0: Luke Fay your guest host and we've got Sebastian over here in the studio Alex Krushik Jay Sutton it is a great day here in Tallahassee how are you guys doing today Sebastian uh, we've done a lot of work so far uh, with all these podcasts Um, what what do you think's been uh, the the success rate here
1: success rate for for podcast upload podcast uploads yeah yeah of course Uh, I'd say about 70% right now We're, we're we're through March through march so you can find those on all your uh, favorite podcast platforms that'll be itunes uh google and spotify yeah uh and uh plenty more to come uh, oh, yeah. as well as uh you know you've got Talk and shop off the ground now i believe yeah which is our uh show with uh fs view uh and of course uh graveyard shift is coming very very soon
0: yeah we've got a lot of talk about uh brett rutherford on the twitter for us i, I kind of Butchered a little bit of that statement there, Alex Kretschik. It is the highest point on FSU's campus, room 420, and we are the hottest room in Seminole sports. Alex, how are your Marlins doing?
2: They are doing fantastic, better than I thought they would at any point this season. I think we've won 11 of the last 16. Also, I'd like to point out that the 2003 Marlins – we're farther back in the division at this point than the current Marlins today.
0: So are you saying they uh, might win the World Series? Is I'm that, is that what I'm already I'm hearing?
2: putting money aside for October.
0: Wow, wow. And making his Tomahawk Talk debut, Jay Sutton. Jay, what do you think of uh, the setup so far today? I love it. I love it. I'm just pleased to be around greatness. Oh, <laughs> Oh! wow. Big, big words. Brian, <laughs> Brian Burns to your Carolina Panthers, what a – what impact do you think of that with uh, Gerald McCoy being being signed today? I'm looking forward to it. Uh, they keep praising
3: uh, Burns on his athleticism and his speed. I'm ready to see it. Hopefully, McCoy opened up some holes for him in the front. And Carolina's instilling a new three-four defense, so I'm
0: ready. I'm anxious to see how it works out. Well, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. NBA Finals action. The series is all tied up, one to one between the Golden State Warriors and the Toronto Raptors, along with a surprise of sorts with fsu baseball uh somehow deciding to play i i mean i don't think anyone here saw florida state in the super regional maybe not even in uh the playoffs for for baseball but it's it's a great thing to see um along with mike martin's last year 39 wins they're one away from 40 i think it's 40 straight seasons with 40 wins or more it might be 41. Yeah, not 40 exactly. or 41. and and with that uh, a, a little bit of a, a a great party for Mike Martin to go out on. Um Florida State will play LSU, but let's get into the Athens Regional where Florida State was the three seed, the first time ever Florida State was a three seed, not a one or two seed. And I I, I think that Florida State hasn't hosted a regional. I believe it was two or three times in uh in their entire uh baseball career for Mike Martin.
2: Yeah, but they really stepped through. I mean. A lot of people didn't even think they'd win a game in this region. I remember talking to some people about FAU, saying, "Oh, FAU, that should be an easy one." And some people were even saying, "That team, we may not, uh, FSU may not even beat."
0: Yeah, it's it's tough. I, I mean, it's, it's really tough. No one saw this coming. Florida State beat FAU in the first game, 13 to seven, in which yeah, uh, Drew thought- or, or Drew Parrish threw a, a fairly good game. But I mean, Florida State put up numbers this weekend. Sebastian, what do you think of that?
1: We were talking about this earlier, right, with Brett, and Brett told me thirty-four runs in three games. That it, I do we ever see that in the the good month this season did we, uh, from this Florida State baseball team? No, uh, which was which was fe- a brief February uh, after um, after when two thousand. I guess you could say the wheels fell off of the uh, Florida State train, and you know we we got to see the uh, the rest of the season, which wasn't fantastic, but um, ultimately big turnaround, and it could. Comes from uh, unsuspecting company, right? Blue?
0: Yeah, well, what, what I what I like about this is that the pitching wasn't terrible. It wasn't good. Connor Grady, who was a reliever last year and parts of the season this year um, came in relief, um, pitched a gym against Georgia, uh, Georgia on Saturday. Um, you, you couldn't ask for anything more. CJ Van, Van Eyck, I believe, allowed only two runs. Um, yeah,
2: three earned runs in eight innings.
0: Yeah, three earned runs in eight innings. Outdualed what people said was the number one pitching prospect. Yeah. Uh, for Georgia.
2: No walks, nine strikeouts. That
0: was Emerson Hancock, who I, I want to say allowed 15 runs the entire season and against Florida State allowed five. So he was four inni- uh, pitched four innings, allowed nine hits, um, five earned runs, and Florida State got to him early and often. And this was not something you, you would have seen in, throughout the entire year. I, I saw a stat that they said uh, Florida State batted around 268 the entire season. But in the regional, they're batting 417 for the entire re- – that's that's unheard of. And we, we need to really uh, recognize uh, someone who Florida State did not think was going to be on the roster this year, and that's Tim Becker, the outfielder, who had an unbelievable regional. And I think we can bring Brett in here um, and have him talk a little bit about that because that's unbelievable what, what he did for Florida State. Three home runs when he came in uh, to the year – he was on the Florida State uh, the, the Florida State club baseball team. He was the president of the club baseball team and got cut in his initial tryout, right?
4: Yeah, yeah, and uh, I was on uh, Talk and Shop with uh, Gary Putnick from uh, FSVU, and I used one word to describe this, this weekend for Florida State, and, and that was magical. Uh, and, and obviously that started with Tim Becker. Uh, we talked a little bit before the show that uh, when, when uh, Tim Becker – just started, you know, hitting those massive home runs in the game against FAU. The rest of the offense kind of clicked and rallied around him. You saw Drew Mendoza, Mike Salvatore, Reese Albert all have really great weekends. And I know, you know, you expect that from from those guys, but with the type of pitching they were facing, I, I, it's really hard for me to believe otherwise that it it wasn't Tim Becker that carried this team this weekend.
0: They seemed inspired. It, it, it kind of was. That that was the word I saw because Tim Becker. When he came to the plate, he took about three or four walks throughout the entire regional, and that's something that getting on just getting on base for Florida State, Elijah Cabell had a tough time doing that. He, he's a great threat home run-wise, but Mike Martin, I don't, I don't think anyone saw this move coming by benching your star freshman who was the highest-rated player in the recruiting class and going with a nobody. He, he was a nobody. It, I don't think anyone, even the people covering Florida State— Really knew who Tim Becker was, and he really arrived today. I, people say build build him a statue. I, I don't know about that, but it was an unbelievable performance from Florida State just overall. And you've got to look at the pitching. Drew Parrish against uh, Georgia allowed you know five five
4: earned runs, but went five innings, did enough, and the relief the relief was good. Yeah, no, everything was good. And you mentioned his work just a second ago. I want to go back to C.J. Van Eyck though. Yeah. CJ Van Eyck has major league stuff. That breaking ball, when it's on, is one of the best in the country. And Florida State fans, cherish CJ Van Eyck while you have him, because I think he's probably gonna throw one more year for the Seminoles before he goes into that draft. And you could see him picked I could I could see him getting picked really high up in next year.
0: There there were a lot of scouts out there looking at Emerson Hancock and CJ Van Eyck, who is also a sophomore. Outdoed him. Went twice as many innings, eight innings, nine hits, three runs, um, no no ball, or no or base on balls, no walks, and nine strikeouts. And they said they, they don't have the radar gun on the broadcast, but they said scouts clocked him at the mid-90s, 95, 96. And he's making himself a lot of money. And we talked about it last, uh, last Tomahawk Talk a week ago. We said, oh, I said that C.J. Van Eyck should be the day one starter. Now, maybe they thought, we don't want Drew Parrish to go up against Georgia, but CJ Van Eyck should start this game against LSU. Alex, what do you think heading into the uh, Super Regional coming up? Um, yeah, That'll be played in Baton Rouge.
2: I think, especially in tournament play, you have to ride with the hot hand. Right now, CJ Van Dyke has the hot hand. I think that's who you have to go with. It, forget about everything that he did during the season, which, of course, he had a great season, but more so than that, just whoever has the hottest hand, which is Van Eyck.
0: What what did you think of the offensive performance, um, Jay? What did you think of the offensive performance from Florida State, who had been known to put up runs, but just the fashion in which they did it, um really made them successful throughout the whole super regional. I, I was blown away. Like I said, I I watched the game and I was like, Is this the same team? <laughs> it it almost you, you you said you were sitting down and you thought the season was over. You thought that this yeah. might have been a replay from a different year when Florida State was on top. Yeah,
3: yeah. It it, it was it was a shocker to see them go out there and dominate the way they
0: did, and I, I was just impressed with Mendoza and the rest of the team. It this Brett, this team right now might be the hottest team in in college baseball, and the draw that they've got—they're playing an LSU team that's 140 games, but they're they're kind of on a down year just like Florida State was, and Florida State has proven that they can go into a, a hostile environment, which LSU in any athletic. Uh, sense is a hostile environment. Where do you see the success? How, how could Florida State be successful this year uh, or this, uh, this series um, coming up?
4: Well, this past weekend against FAU, they got their ace and Sanderson in, in Friday's game, and they saw two of the best pitchers in the country against Georgia in, with uh, Hancock and Wilcox on Saturday and Sunday. LSU has n- no pitchers on their staff that are even close to the level of those guys. The, the pitchers that Florida State faced this weekend all three of them would probably be the ace of this staff, uh, which, is say, wow. which is saying a lot. And just, just watching them score 34 runs across all three of those games, I don't know if there's a pitcher on LSU staff that is capable of slowing down this offense, which is really scary uh, you know, if, if you're an LSU fan. Um, it's, 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 gonna be, it's definitely going to be challenging going into Baton Rouge, playing at the box, one of the most hostile environments in all of college baseball. Um, but, I mean, if, if the bats stay hot, the, the, it's going to be, it, it, it could be another a blowout. Really? I, 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 I'm not saying they will. I'm saying if, if you start, you know, if you get started, Mike Salvatore keeps getting on base. I think he got on base 12 out of 16 at bats this weekend. And Drew Mendoza's hitting the ball. Obviously, Tim Becker's going to be back in the lineup. If, if they start getting those hits, it's going to be a lot harder for that LSU pitching staff to, to stop that.
0: Alex, what, what do you think that Florida State's got to do this weekend, um, just, just like what Brett said, in order to get to Omaha and try to get Mike Martin his, his, his college World Series, which he hasn't gotten. He hasn't gotten a title.
2: Of course I agree with the offensive part. I also think that, especially in tournament play, you need your pitching. And kind of what I said before, I think C.J. Van Dyke needs to set the tone, just like an ace does. I think he needs to set the tone with a win in game one and just put them on top and give them more, more breathing room.
4: I, I, I'll, I'll make a counterpoint to that, because baseball, as we all know, is, is a lot more of a mental game, and, and every weekend this season, it's been Parrish Day 1, Van Eyck Day 2, and even though Van Eyck might be the better pitcher right now, I mean, he is the better pitcher right now, there's no doubting that, you, you might not want to mess with that and have him start that first game, you might want to stick with Parrish, you know you're guaranteed at least a second game, Van Eyck's going to see the mound. Um, and and I, I do get that it, he is the hot hand right now But you also, you don't want to mess with that mojo Of going Parrish Game 1 and Van Eyck Game 2
0: Really? You, you don't think... Last week, weren't you on the side of C.J. Van Eyck being the ace?
4: He is the ace of this staff um, But again, you're, you're guaranteed two games He's going to see the mound Yeah, maybe you don't want to have him take the mound When you're down 1-0 in this Super Regional uh, But it does, it, it, you know, in, in, in the game of baseball you don't you don't necessarily want to mess with anyone's psychological state of mind.
0: Uh, so you're 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 coming from a superstitious, yes. not psychological. Oh, it's definitely
4: one hundred percent superstitious, and that is, in my opinion, how you win baseball games.
0: What 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 do you think, Jay, over there with with this with the the way the staff has been this year, very volatile, up and down, up and down? Would it be too much to throw out to change the order and put C.J. Van Eyck at the beginning, or? or do you think that the way they've got it now is how it was always going to be, Florida State was going to hit their groove? I think, you know, I'm kind of old
3: school when it comes to this, when they say, uh, stay with what got you there. So I say ride it out, stay with it, and, you know, plug them in where need be. But for right now, stay with what got
0: you there. Stay with it. So Sebastian, um, we're going to switch just a little bit off of baseball and go with Mike Martin's legacy. Now, most people, we've talked about it plenty of times this year, most people did not see Florida State moving on past the, the regional, um, and now they're into the super regional. Does this kind of change the, the, the going out party for Mike Martin to where you, you, you see and say, you know what, Mike Martin may not have had the best year all around, but if, if Florida State could get them to Omaha, that would, be, that would be the most successful season Mike Martin has ever coached. From a coaching standpoint, given the players he's got,
1: absolutely. I mean, let's not let's not jump the gun yet. Uh, for all, all things considered, um, the season is not over for Fuller, for Fuller State, and um, so we'll 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 just have to see if that actually happens. But if it does happen, I do I do believe that that kind of changes the narrative for uh, for Mike Martin. It's not the sun has set on the Mike Martin era at uh, Florida State, but rather it's Mike Martin um, riding into the sunset. Kind of like okay. this heroic figure who's like, yeah, I mean the, the the road to Omaha was long and winding, but you got to Omaha.
0: That's true. So Alex, what makes this a successful season for Mike Martin? Is it already a success now? Or what What do they have to do, um, Florida State, in order to make this the, uh, what? what fans didn't think was going to happen?
2: Just because this is Florida State. I'm going to go ahead and say that I would never say that a successful season ends right after regionals. But in this particular case, I think it's already a successful season. You had the Tim Becker weekend, and he wasn't even the best player on the field. You had a team that beat Georgia by a combined 22-4 to with a top 15 draft pick on the mound for one of those games. I think the fan base is already happy.
0: Georgia was throwing three players in the 90s. I mean, these pitchers are no joke. Florida State just got to jump on them early. CJ Van Eyck, the second pitch of the game, allowed a home run to Georgia. And you think, well, here it goes. Right. Florida State's going to, you know, they're going to fall back like they usually do, get in a big hole, and then maybe catch on some runs. But really, the pitching isn't there. The relief work hasn't been there. And J.C. Flowers, he, he had one inning. It, it was, I think, he came in the ninth of the game against Georgia, and he didn't have to pitch hardly all uh, the the entire series. So you, you got to think your arms are pretty stable. If you're a Florida State team right now, I could see the belief. I think Tim Becker put the belief back in this team. And it, there's something about a, a, a team that's got that type of momentum on their side. Florida State, Florida State was horrible all season, but all of a sudden they look like a baseball team.
2: Not only do they look like a baseball team, but they look like a baseball team that's having fun. These teams always look like they're having fun. But out of Florida State, I've never seen a team having that much fun. I mean, there was an energy. Everyone was... Leaning up against the railing every time Tim Becker came to the plate, there was just an, an energy that I think Tim Becker ignited in this team, and hopefully they can carry it over to the next week.
0: Jay, Jay what, do you, what do you think? I, I think I'm
3: greedy. I want to see him go all the way. I, I want to see him go all the way. This is something that they've done before numerous of times. I understand the season. It was a down season. and They turned it around. But Mike Martin, go out with a bang. Go out with his first championship in his last season. Do you think that's attainable, though? I'm going to be overly optimistic and say yes. (laughs) Um, But uh, I don't know. I I want to see it. I want to see it. I want to raise the stakes. I don't want to be complacent and say, well, you know, if they made it here, that's good enough. Because I think that attitude will just allow
0: you to just make it there to where they are now. For you, it's about glory. Yeah, man. Let's just go for it. Let's do it. Well, they've already named the field after Mike Martin. Bobby Bowen's got his own statue, you know. I, I think I think that he, he really wants to go down in the record books, not for being ringless, which we all know the jokes about, uh, you know, when Kevin Durant didn't have a ring or LeBron James. Mike Martin is arguably one of the greatest college, uh, college coaches of all time, any sport. He's got the most wins, um, but he doesn't have that one thing that he's been chasing the whole time. And I think that that's really getting, that got to him. And then this year kind of realized it was a little bit out of, out of, out of sight and then all of a sudden it's back. So it's, it's a very interesting thing to look at. Um, but, but we'll switch a little bit here. I, I know that we at the station very much neglect soccer to, to a point to, to where people say it's not even soccer, it's football. Uh, but the Champions League, which is the Super Bowl of soccer, as I've been told. No, I, I know it is. Uh, was, was this weekend uh, between the Tottenham Hotspurs and Harry Kane and Mo Salah. In Liverpool, I I'm butchering it right now. Yes, you are. So for
1: starters, um, I kind of physically cringe there. Um, Tottenham Hotspurs, it, it, it's not Hotspurs plural unless you use kind of their nickname, which is Spurs. And so there might be some San Antonio confusion here for uh, <laughs> our American <laughs> audience. But um, but yeah, it it was uh, Spurs and, and Liverpool. Um, I'm gonna kind of take the reins. Real it in, reel it in. Um, <laughs> it was uh just starting off. It was uh, a match with a lot of like hype build, built up around it, uh, especially uh, predecessed by, um, or preceded by the uh, Arsenal-Chelsea uh, Europa League finals, which um, some people would call a Mickey Mouse trophy, um, <laughs> or just, uh, just a trophy that doesn't really mean much in the grand scheme of the European uh, circuit. But um, ultimately, it was the first time in history where um, both finals were played between two, Europe, uh, two English teams, um, big deal, um, kind of cementing the Premier League as kind of the big dog on the European continent when it, came, when it comes to league uh, superiority or just well, one,
0: one thing I noticed here, Sebastian, I, mm-hmm. about this final is both teams shouldn't have been here. Liverpool came came from a 4-0 right. deficit against, Bar- deficit against Barcelona, and they had to score four.
1: They had to score four at home. Um, there's a certain They always say that there's a certain magic around um, Liverpool's um, home field, which is Anfield. Um, there's a magic around it where the fans are just so all in on their team that they kind of power. They, it felt like they willed their team through to the final and a final that they really shouldn't have had uh, a say and kind of being in after the route that they experienced at, uh, Barcelona's Camp Nou. Uh, it was, it was honestly, um, a sight to see. And then days later, not even like, I think it was two days later, um, Tottenham, in order to go through as well, had to kind of uh, pull a miracle out after going 2-0 down away at um, at Amsterdam against uh, Ajax.
0: Ajax. Um, yeah, both both teams incredible performances yeah. just to get into. But you look at the Liverpool game against Barcelona, that that semifinal. Barcelona just looked like the entire ghost, the soul came out of them, and they were shell shocked. It was.
1: It's like if you looked at Barcelona's possession at during that game. Um, the ball went through Messi, uh, Lionel Messi, the greatest uh, player in the world right now, if you ask me. Um, 68% of their ball possession in um, in the other side of the of the pitch was controlled by him. Imagine one player um, at any time in in a game of soccer just having possession for 68% of that team's possession. Um, just sounds like Kobe Bryant. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just he um, he was the only player that seemed to want to get um a play started or wanted to start up an attack wanted to actually keep the ball um off of uh his team's side of the pitch um and you know for all the spirit that he had during that match it was not reflected in anybody else in barcelona and um they looked sluggish they looked slow off the um off the, off the jump i guess and uh
0: you really you really did see that so,
1: Liverpool exploiting
0: that so so let's tie that in to the final the final kind of mimicked a little bit of the NBA finals we'll we'll get to there on the other side of the break but the final was Lack boring. Luster. very very Lack boring luster. the the most exciting point was 30 seconds in when there was a handball uh for a penalty kick and right. Mo Salah converts what is what does this do the american audience was when when the United States didn't make the FIFA World Cup. It set back soccer by about 10 years. Now, there's I still... That. I, I I I think that, that that's a given. It, it set back US, U.S. soccer by 10 years. And so, just the audience and everything. So, with, with Americans watching this game, it wasn't really that much of an exciting game. Do you still think that Americans will still be engaged given that this it wasn't very pretty and this is supposed to be the Super Bowl of soccer?
1: Mm-hmm. Um... Well, at this point, especially after you know the absence of the United States at last uh, last year's World Cup, if you're not interested in soccer now, chances are you weren't going to, to begin with, with uh, a final like Spurs against Liverpool. Um, Spurs played their game, Liverpool played their game, but honestly, um, it was a lackluster performance from both teams. Seventy uh, percent conversion rate on, on both sides, essentially. Um, Liverpool uh, making only half as many shots on target so that means direct shots at the goal where the goalie actually has to make an effort to save uh, as opposed to uh, Spurs is eight and um, Tottenham got goose egged um, during the match and that just kind of goes to show there was um, it was like you said a lackluster event um, will things improve for uh, Champions League soccer absolutely uh, with uh, with the next year. Um, all these teams are going to be in the mix again. Um, personally, I believe that the final um, can be, has the potential to be super interesting. But um, the real excitement for Champions League soccer comes from the home and away fixtures. Yeah. When teams play a game at home and a game away. And if you get goals away, it's a big deal. And the way that they've changed the rules now uh, for home and away goals, um, there's always going to be a team ahead or behind, regardless of the score in either game. So it's going to be really exciting every time. Um, do I recommend soccer still? Absolutely. It's a blast to watch. Uh, this game was <laughs> lackluster. It's a different experience. It's a different experience.
0: I, I think it's a different type of fan and and to that degree, the United States is never going to have soccer be the number one sport, even I don't the think number so either. two sport. Nope. The only sport maybe they could pass is baseball, maybe given it we'll see. Baseball we're, we're getting is some a eyes. sport, I think, in terms well, of audience we'll see. with the youth. Well, we'll see. It's just, it's, it's. I, I always say this. I, I, go back to this. And Alex, you might want to join in on this. Americans do not like sports where you can end in a tie. Americans are competitive as compete. You have to win at everything.
2: No, there needs to be a winner. It's like, that's why no one cares about the spelling bee because there's eight winners.
0: Ooh, ooh, ooh.
3: that's cold, ooh. man. That's cold. ESPN is <laughs> shambles right now. throw Jeez. the kids on the bus like that? Yeah. But
2: that's why they changed the hockey rules after the lockout. That's why they changed from ties to now we go to a shootout, and it can go 20 rounds as long as we have a winner. Because Americans don't know what to do after a tie. Are we happy? Yeah.
0: Are we sad? Exactly. I. It's it's just a, such a weird experience watching sa- uh, soccer, and the end of the game comes, and they're down two to one, and a corner kick swings in, and the header, and it's a goal, and everyone's going crazy, and it's going to end in the tie. There's it's a cliffhanger. It's it's the big. It'd be like Steph Curry hitting a three to tie the game at the end of the game, and. Nothing goes. No, so, nothing happens. So if this
1: is if this is league play, I absolutely agree. Both teams you kind of walk away with a point um, in league standings, and you're just kind of left for, well, that was a game. But in, in Champions League football or in Champions League soccer, um, the way the rules work nowadays in in home and away uh, fixtures, um, when it comes to elimination rounds, is a, a goal an away goal, it has more value. Than a than a home goal. So let's say let's let's no, take the.
0: I understand that I'm not arguing that point. Right. I, what I'm arguing is getting the, the the fans engaged. MLS has has gone gone up in ratings, and the they're, they're, I think they said that they're going to be profitable by 2035, Jeez. somewhere around there. And it's taken them about 30 year almost 35 years. I think they launched in the late 90s. They launched in the 80s, didn't they? Like no. the New York
1: Cosmos and Pele playing. The, in I don't think that's MLS though.
0: Yeah, but I MLS I believe Jeez. was in the late it was in the late nineties. So Jay, you, you've got you've got a couple of things to say, but I, I want to ask you this question. If 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 the MLS commissioner decided, you know what, we're gonna do away with ties, do it the American way, would that hurt or help the sport where MLS there will be no more ties, it'll be winner take all, you're gonna you're gonna do a penalty shootout at the end of the game.
1: Originally that, that did exist though. Have you never seen like the or like in early MLS the way they did it was they would actually have a penalty shootout where it would simulate a breakaway from about the midfield and it would be a rush all the way down to the end of the pitch where the goalie was and it would be a one on one and then would it would yeah, be a goal or not? But that's I'm, how they determined I'm, yeah the I'm not
0: talking about that I'm not talking about that I'm talking about just a regular penalty shot that that's what I'm saying. Do you think that that would help the viewership or is it just it's it's it, they should just keep how soccer's been.
3: I think that that would help some, but I think that the main issue, and y'all correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there's a lack of stars and a lack of stories. Yes. You know, we love stories and we love stars. Like, think about the NBA Finals right now. Everybody's wondering where Kevin Durant's going to go. Where's Kawhi Leonard's going to go? And, and and we love those type of stories, and we love stars. Like, people that don't even follow the NFL on a regular basis, they'll tune in because they want to see Odell Beckham Jr., they, and, the guy with the hair. And
1: honestly, <laughs> we won't see – um, homegrown stars uh, for the United States um, yeah you have kids like Polisic who are um, up-and-coming stars in the European circuits but honestly if you have you know specimens or just uh, guys or girls who can really really play the game to um, an international level uh, they'll usually be told on not so much on the women's but especially in the men's uh, you should play football or you should play yeah. baseball because you can make a heck of a lot more money in the Ameri- um in the American sphere. And I
0: was I was about to bring that up. I was about to bring that up. So Jurgen Klinsmann, he said he said that even even when you get to gymnastics, you're putting your third, fourth best athlete in gymnastics and if you just gotten the kid from gymnastics to play soccer, he would have been a superstar. The the discrepancy is that Americans when they grow up, what do you, what did you guys want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be an NBA basketball player. I'm sure Alex wanted to be an uh, an MLB star and someone else in this room definitely wanted to be an NFL star. I wanted so those to be are a fighter pilot. Uh, well, okay, we're talking <laughs> about sports. Anyways. Anyway, so that's that's the top 3 and then soccer is almost a fallback plan. No one from from the American standpoint, no one strives to be a soccer player. And Jurgen Klinsmann mentioned that if you got one of those one of those basketball players or football players they're gonna overpower anyone but it's just the it's the amount of beauty the skill whenever you watch a, an MLS game it's all attack 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 there is no possession it, it's 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 a these bad are game.
1: all these are all cultural things yes Luke these are all things but that you have am- to
0: change the culture if you aren't doing anything it, if you're doing the same thing over and over and over you know that's the definition of insanity
1: uh, and um, I'm glad you you brought up culture because if you see the the style of play that the american under 20s the the under 20 for for those of you that don't know ladies and gentlemen uh the under 20 world cup which is kind of a world cup um for uh, men's players that are under the age of 20 or at the age of 20 um, is currently underway in poland um there are a handful of teams and um soon enough the united states will play in the round of 16 against uh, the under 20 team of france um, and you look at the style of play that is currently being played by the under-20 team of the United States and it is a very European game. A lot of possession, a lot of passing. Um, Build from the back and execute um, in the attack once you get to their side of the, uh, of the pitch. Um, that is something that style of play hasn't been seen in the United States um, It, if you go back 20 or 30 years. Um, it's something that you began to see once the um, U.S. Uh, Soccer Association um, decided that they would play the European game. Um, and that happened, I would say, I don't know, Brett, help me out here, maybe 2014? Maybe 2014 is probably when that um, that ball got, ro- got rolling for, for the U.S., where they kind of decided to bring in external um, or at least, um, you know, German—the German school of thought. Or no, the, or I, the, understand. The I understand. I understand that it's—it's um, it's, it's it, just it's something starting, you can't fix. It is it's a slow ball of a roll because, like you said, there are so many uh, obstacles for um, soccer players to, to clear if they want to actually play soccer and, and aren't like funneled into other sports um, here in America. But if it'll get there, it'll get. I, there's no doubt in my mind that it'll get there. But. Um, you know, it'll all come, uh, come in time. Last year's match, one, one last thing. Last year's match um, for the Champions League final was one of the most exciting I've ever seen. It was dramatic, it was controversial, it was wild from the get-go, just like this year's, except it was only so much more so. Uh, Real Madrid, Liverpool, interestingly enough, uh, they got their run back. But um, If we get more matches like that on broadcast here in the United States at times where we can watch them as an audience, um, I'm certain that we'll see U.S. soccer
0: grow sooner than later. All right, I'm going to ask you a question real fast before we go to break. Do you think by 2050 the United States will make it to a World Cup final? So, Alex, you go first.
2: Realistically, I just can't picture it. Um, that's a long way away, but there's just nothing that the U.S. is doing that would make me think that they could possibly overtake every other country
0: in, in the world. In your mind, though, these kids aren't born yet.
2: Right. It's possible. And, and I will say, and I don't want to open a whole can of worms before the break, yeah, but yeah. I think it is possible that some of the kids that are no longer playing football because of concussion risks, I'm sure some of them will trickle into that's soccer. A great,
0: that's a great point. That's a great point. Jay? Uh,
3: real quick, because I know we're headed uh, to break. I agree with Alex. What Everything he just said about the kids trickling into soccer because of the, the implications of football. So I say it's a possibility, but I'm leaning more towards no. Sebastian?
1: I think you'll see the U.S. reappear before uh, 2050, so 2048. I don't know if if a cup is that, that year, but um, by, by 2048, you will see um, the United States reappear in the uh, World Cup semifinals. I don't know about a final, but a third place match is definitely in our future.
0: I, I don't think that I personally don't think that they're going to make it to a final within the next 35 years. That's for a point. Everybody's um, getting better just as you are. I, 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 really, I really don't, but it would be something exciting to see. It would be a nice change of pace. You mentioned the concussions. That's a good point. doesn't mean that soccer, you don't get concussions because of headers. I mean, that's, that's a whole different bag of worms, but it's just the aesthetic, the look. There aren't as many hits. So it's an interesting uh, thing to look at. But uh, on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about the NBA Finals, probably for the rest of the period. It's, we've got a lot to talk about, but you're listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. So we're back on the other side of the break. We were uh, talking a little bit about You know soccer and, and that whole whole thing how it's 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 a it's a very basic Conversation and, and really the one that should have been asked is do you think that the United States we're gonna qualify? For all these World Cups coming up within the next 35 years, and I think that's the better question to ask um, if if you're trying to grow the sport you have got to make every single World Cup you can and United States just they don't have that talent level that everyone else does. The soccer is the number one sport in the world, but in the United States it's the fourth, and the the basket. Fifth. It, Fifth. Hockey it, is still. Better I guess you I could say done. hockey is even in front, but you look at Iceland, and Iceland ends up being a better team with I I want to say how many thousands of people they might have four hundred thousand people. Five hundred thousand people and on that
1: island, and they upset England. at yeah, uh, it, Euro it, 2016. Yeah.
0: And, and no, you're right. It was Euro 2016. I was there. Uh, but it it's it's something that you, you just can't 200 and or I think it's 325 million people in the United States. And uh, you, you can't get a team better than Iceland. It's kind of it's kind of sad from that regard. But and
1: the, and the cup will be uh, we should we should note that the cup is going to change uh, after 2026. FIFA is very heavily pushing for a 48 team tournament. Instead of the, I saw that they they just
0: um they just they just declined that though they yeah, they for, said for they were going to do twenty
1: twenty two but that has geopolitical things that in play yeah. that won't be a factor in the uh Canada U S Mexico uh, World Cup in twenty six okay
0: well we're gonna move on into the NBA finals this is what everyone's really been here for um it's it was interesting I don't think anyone thought Toronto was gonna take Game One of the NBA finals and they did um, at home but. Game two last night probably one of the one of one of the more exciting finishes um, to to the to the playoffs uh, in, in my opinion. Um, but game one, Golden State came out like they hadn't played in over a week, which was true. Uh, Jay, what what did you see from from Golden State in game one and how it, it translated to uh, their appearance in game two?
3: Well, if I go back before game one to to fast forward a little bit. Um, you know, game five in Houston. Yeah, They go out there and they lose KD and they close out the game, they win the game. They come back game six in front of that tough crowd and close out the Rockets without KD. And I'm saying this is what champions are made of. This is a resilient team. Um, And so you go, in the game one, they get the long break, they're rusty. You can obviously tell they didn't have yeah, their legs. Played, well,
0: them. they played the Blazers in the Western Conference Finals and just swept right through them. Yes,
3: but you could tell that that long break affected their legs. Um, and so, game two, they had their legs under them, and they had bodies. I think they played 11 uh, guys on the roster. and th- That's their whole mantra, strength and numbers. They had guys coming off the bench, Quinn Cook hitting threes. Uh, Boogie, <laughs> Boogie stepped in and played 28 minutes. He only yeah. gave eight minutes in game one. So, I just think that they got their legs under them, and I think that they're well coached. Uh, they outscored Toronto in the third quarter at 34-21. Uh, and that's what they've been known for the third quarter.
0: I've, I've said it over and over again. Golden State, this Golden State team within the last six, seven years, um, the prime era, is the greatest third quarter team of all time. It's unbelievable. I mean, I, I, I go back to it over and over again, is when when they're down by 15 in that second quarter or even even at the very beginning of the third quarter, you go and look. You look in inside a bar. You look over to your friends and you say, "Wow, this really feels like a five-point game. The a double-digit lead for the Warriors means nothing, absolutely nothing." And I sit back there. They were down by, I believe it was upwards of twelve or thirteen towards the end of the first uh, or first half, and they come back. They cut it to five. I believe it was five. And you go, "Okay, well, we'll, we'll see if they come out with any energy." Boogie Cousins in Game One was horrible. He was terrible. Had not played in 45 days and comes out sluggish. That's what you would expect. Game two, that first possession, I saw him come out defensively. He was a, he, he, he was a, he was a monster defensively. Picked up a couple of fouls a little bit early, but his production is what won them the game, Alex. Um, you want to talk a little bit about Boogie and the wake-up call that Steph Curry was in the second half? Because in the first half, Steph Curry had nothing going.
2: No, are we talking game one or game two? Game
0: two. Game two.
2: Game two, yeah. No, game two. I, I think he said um, Steph Curry was sick coming into game two, and he was playing like it in the first half. Second half where they went on like an 18 nothing run to start that second half. Yeah. I think it was, I think it was 20. Yeah.
0: Going back to the second quarter, it was 22-0. to zero. The yeah. first time in finals history. Yeah. That big of a run.
3: Yeah.
2: And that actually was what I was expecting to happen in the first game. In the first game, the Raptors were only up by 10, and very rarely do you look at a team that's up by 10 and think, oh, no, they're – they're done.
0: Yeah. That's, that's that's how I felt. Draymond Green really was the X factor last night. He made a couple of bad passes, but you could just tell the energy from him. I don't know if uh, Drake rubbed him the wrong way, Sebastian, but Draymond Green just had something different last night. The motor has changed in, in probably the last two series where you think this is the Draymond Green of 2015, the one who was a faci- – he, he's essentially – a power forward but a, f- a point guard he pushes the pace every single time and and with that i i think that he he is a matchup nightmare for anyone anyone he goes up against especially with toronto
1: we did note we did see that um draymond green was absent almost from that first from that first half where it, he looked all over the place to be fair most of the warriors looked all over the place um on his first six shots steph was oh and six yeah. Um, and that's not just shots from th- from from three point line. That's that's everywhere, um, all over the court. Um, the one shining light, and arguably the Golden State's saving grace through uh, through the first half, Clay Thompson.
0: Unbelievable what performance. performance!
1: What a show! Um, while it was kind of a clown fiesta for everybody else, um, Clay scores Golden State's first eight points, uh, uh, keeps Golden State within five at the end of the half. Um, Absolutely, hats off performance to he, from from Clay there.
3: He led the team in scoring, and he left with eight minutes left of regulation. Clay Thompson did. Yeah, yeah. So it, his and, his health is very
0: important going into Game Three. So that's something I want to talk about. Is the Warriors seem to be are easily the the best team in the NBA with without Kevin Durant, they still are the best team in the NBA. Boogie Cousins is coming off that calf injury. Steph Curry is. I think they said he had a fever and his eye is still messed up from the um, previous series. And then you go to Clay Thompson who just went down with, I don't know what Hamstring. Was hamstring, it hamstring stiffness. Is hamstring. What so it's probably a hamstring strain. So that's three. Three that are Iggy. Iggy's hobbled. Iggy yeah. is hobbled yeah. and then Kevin Durant is not playing. So that's, that's, almost, that's essentially what your starting you five done. looks <laughs> like at the beginning of the season. Oh, Looney. Looney has a and, chest contusion. I mean yeah. they're, they're going down like flies. <laughs> yeah. So Kevin Durant Do the Warriors need him to come back by game four to make this series not go seven?
3: Absolutely. They need KD. Like, who wouldn't need the best player in the world, which I've been saying that for a while, before the media jumped on it. But
1: Well, the KD system is fundamentally different to the traditional Warrior system, right? KD is kind of like a – and KD is a very productive individual, but that productive individual requires resources. He needs ball possession. In order to turn that into points, KD's kind of like a black hole where everybody is in orbit around him.
0: Jay, I think that KD is that safety blanket that Golden State right now needs given how hobbled the rest of the team is. If Klay Thompson's off and you've only got Steph Curry, I don't think that's enough. I really don't think that's enough.
3: It, it's not, and that's what they brought him there for. They brought him there for the finals. Uh, they're a great regular season team. They're a great playoff team. But in the finals, when you get matched up against LeBron and the other juggernauts out there, and Steph is one of the greatest players ever, but he isn't always consistent in the clutch moments. You bring KD, who's going to give you 30, 35 points regardless. You can write it in a book before he shows up to the gym. You need that, and you definitely need it right now with them being so hobbled.
0: Alex? What, what, does, what does Toronto need to do to steal a game over in the Bay Area?
2: I think they need to rely a little bit more on Pascal Siakam on top of the fact that Kawhi Leonard just needs to keep doing what he's doing. I think they need to ride the energy that they had game one. I think there's just – the problem with playing the Warriors is there's nothing about the Raptors that I looked at and said they need to improve. They're already at 100%. I agree. So there's nothing I can really say. Well, it's going
1: scoreless for six minutes on the third could use a look at.
0: They had I good think. looks. They had good looks.
3: Yeah, they just weren't
1: converting. They be never converted. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, Hardly converted.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with the. It's not like, here's the thing with the Warriors. It's insert a player, insert a player, insert a player. With with Toronto, they're as good as they're ever gonna be. Okay. Now Pascal Siakam dropped 30 plus in game one, and now he, he only, uh, he only had 12. If you look at their their starting lineup. Um, no one scored more than 20 points other than Kawhi Leonard. He scored 34, but you're getting 13 from Kyle Lowry, who fouled out with I think it was three minutes left to play in the game. Pascal Siakam with 12, Marcus Saul had six points, and Danny Green with eight. It was just an it was, it was Fred VanVleet helped him from the bench, but it was just an average performance, and they aren't playing as many guys. So you had I, I looked at it 12 guys for Golden State. If you look over at Toronto, they they only played eight guys the whole game. And that's probably their best eight. I don't think I'm looking, there's no one else they could insert in there. And Alex, you're saying really they gotta play as lockdown defense as they can. Take I, I think that you take you take your poison. Give one guy, give give Clay Thompson his thirty, lock down Steph Curry, and make someone else beat you. Last night, Boogie Cousins, who was tired as could be, but played like a dog, played like a dog, came out there. Played his heart out, and Toronto was right in it. Now, now here's here's the big question: is at the end of the game, Steph Curry is dribbling it out. They trap him. Ball goes to Livingston, then out to Iggy. What were you guys thinking at that point? Hold, pass, or shoot? When he let that ball go, in my opinion, it was a no, 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 no. Yes. I was,
3: I was thinking shoot it because Iggy has been clutch for them. He's been the Finals MVP. Um, and prior to him making that shot, this is what makes them so great. And you talk about plug and play. Iggy was one for 14 on three-pointers in the last six games before Ooh. hitting that shot. Ooh. That's what champions do. So I was like, this is a championship team. He's a championship guy. He's a Finals MVP. Knock it down.
0: It looked in rhythm like he wanted it. He, for a second, he checked and then said, this is me. Yeah. I'm the Finals MVP. Yeah. That was – that's that might be one of the biggest shots of the Golden State dynasty. That that most likely, I uh, I think we still think that. The, do you guys still think that they're the favorites to win? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's it's tough. It's tough. And you know why, Luke? Um,
3: all of the injuries. But one thing that we haven't talked about. We talked about all the Golden Golden State's injuries. We haven't talked about Kawhi Leonard. Um, I don't know if y'all noticed. Yes. he His legs are gone. He he's, gone, he's getting most of his points at the free throw line. He's just bulldozing through the lane and going through the free throw line. He can't knock down shots. His legs are worn out. Um, it, it's going to be tough. It's, if
0: KD is there, they win it. If he's not, it's a pick. Toss-up. Yeah. It, and You mentioned Kawhi Leonard free throws, 16 of 16. Um, James Harden-like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. from, from that. But he reminds me of the Kobe year with Dwight Howard where Kobe willed them as close as he could and then – got injured, tore his Achilles, and was out. He looks that type of tire where his leg's just – he's hes slightly injured. He is playing with an injury. But the the will to win is there. I just don't know if he's going to get enough help because Pascal Siakam, his, his Robin, wasn't there last night. And they're going to need that every single night. Now, Alex, do you, uh, w- let's go back to the Iggy situation. Do you think he should have shot that ball? with se- There's seven seconds left.
2: I think it's easy to say yes. I'm going to agree with Jay. I think it's easy to say yes when you know what happened. I think even though he was kind of cold lately, I think that he's a capable three point shooter enough, at least. I mean, he was wide open. He was yeah. wide open for like 10 or 15 feet.
1: Steph, for Steph a said in his post game <laughs> interview, you, we saw um, Iggy line up for that shot, and there was just no respect there. You can't disrespect Iggy like that, where you just have, you want to you hear what I said? for my um, when I heard that when I saw that shot I was just I was just shouting dagger dagger yeah. dagger dagger and it happened
2: honestly I think and this might be very simplistic I think especially in today's NBA if you leave anyone open by that much there's a 50/50 chance they make it at least yeah that's I,
0: yeah that's true I mean let let's not get it wrong the the first quarter of that game was horrible bad basketball i argue that the last
1: 6 minutes were pretty bad too not not from not from Toronto not from Toronto, because Toronto played phenomenal defense, but also from Toronto for not converting off of choice shots, like looks, like like Jay said. Looks. But
0: but from the excitement standpoint, I thought the excitement was there. I yeah. thought it, it wasn't great basketball, but the excitement was there. It's just Toronto – do you think that Toronto had to win that game?
1: Absolutely. It's a home game against uh, – do you, do you think they're going to waltz into the Oracle and – like, sneak out with at least one game? It's possible. I'd say it's really hard. If I would it, say nigh impossible. Everything
3: is pinned upon Klay Thompson right now. His hamstring is,
0: <laughs> like, it could be the the deciding factor in this finals right now. Now, do you think it is worth, Alex, do you think it's worth Kevin Durant coming back knowing maybe he doesn't want to injure, injure himself even more because he – for, for everyone around here, it kind of looks like Kevin Durant is one foot out the door. Like this is this is a great thing to happen, but he, he he's taking it very cautious here where he doesn't want to jeopardize his future career. Clay Thompson, also a free agent, may not want to jeopardize, but I feel like Clay Thompson is going to play no matter what. I don't I don't think there's a question on that. But will do you think Kevin Durant might just sit this one out, even though Golden State would need him?
2: I tell you what, if he's 50-50, I sit him out for a different reason. I sit him out because they had nine game or nine days of preparation and game planning without him in practice. And even though they lost game one, they did win game two without him. And I'm not saying that they're better without Kevin Durant, not at all. But What I am saying is they learned how to win without him. And it might jeopardize things if suddenly you throw him into the mix. And now you got a game plan, a whole new, you got to create a whole new game plan with him inserted into the lineup.
3: Jay? I think that, uh, with, as it pertains to KD, that I don't think he's going to play. I, I don't think that he's going to play. I think that he's done. I think Steve Kerr put it out there. Like, he's kind of dangling that bait because he wants to keep Toronto honest. on He wants feet, them yeah. to the game plan for, uh, for Kevin Durant and his possible return. But I don't think he's going to return. And... I don't think I don't think he's thinking about free agency. I think that he's an NBA player. He's a champion. I think he wants to win right now. If he can go, he'll go. Um, I do think Steve Kerr isn't that honest. He said he has to practice first. Who practices in, during the finals? <laughs> they don't yeah, practice during walk the finals. Through, walk yeah, so yeah. I think he's waiting on KD to give him the go ahead. So, but we'll see what happens.
1: I agree with Jay there. Actually, I think if you would have seen, um, you know, the Warriors with that button ready to call in KD. You'd have heard like a, at least put him as questionable, but the fact that they haven't kind of shows that they really don't think they're gonna play him.
0: So let's look ahead to Game Three in in uh, in Oakland. The Warriors are are gonna be favorites by I would I would guess around four points. That's that's kind of my guess, just a guesstimate. But it also depends if Clay Thompson is gonna go. Or that that might change the line, but. I really think that Steph Curry is going to step up in this game. He has to just, I know he's not 100%. I know his vision isn't that great. He may not be feeling well, but this is his team. This is his moment. He's He's got to make something out of this where it might be if if Klay Thompson leaves somehow, if Kevin Durant leaves, this might be his last chance in order to seal a Finals MVP. Alex?
2: Exactly, especially if KD doesn't come back for Game 3. I I forget if they already ruled him out for Game 3. They
0: they said he's very uncertain, but highly unlucky. I I think that by them winning the game, he's not going to play Game 2.
2: And you know, as deep as their starting five is, they won before KD um, because of Steph Curry. So they're not going to win again by relying on Klay Thompson, by relying on Jordan Bell, on Draymond Green.
0: Andrew Bogut out of nowhere. It has to,
2: you know, as great as the rest of the team is, they're not going to win unless Steph Curry has a great game.
0: Jay, wh- who, who from the Raptors is the X factor going into the, going on the road? Is it is it going to be a defender on Klay Thompson or or Steph Curry, or do you think that there needs to be offensive numbers put up?
3: I think offensive numbers, and I think it's the guy that's always the X factor for Toronto, and that's Cal Lowry. Like you, you, never you never know what you're going to get from him. And I think if he can show up and have a big game, they have a solid chance to win it because. Kawhi hobbled or not, he's going to give you twenty between 20-25 points. Um, the other guys do pretty decent, but you need Kyle Lowry to step up and put pressure. That's one good thing against Steph. If you can uh, really show up offensively against Steph and force him to play, that takes away from him a little bit on the offensive end.
0: It looked defensively, Steph Curry I I want to say the first five minutes of the game had one shot. They just were double teaming him, coming him off screens just really undercutting everything, the game plan was there. It really was there. I think Steph Curry's going to get his shots. That's the one thing that you, you can't game play against. Uh, he had a step-back three from a mile away in the final minute of the third quarter that you just go he, That's something you can't cover. You can't cover that. So who, for, from that standpoint, Golden State's going to be fine. I think the, the real question is, can Toronto make this game a series when it comes back over into Canada? Game six, I'm going to say right now, I think that the Warriors will win four straight.
1: I, I agree. The Game five will be an elimination game at the Bank. Um, Tomorrow, specifically, I think you'll see Iggy and Steph. And Wednesday, the, last, the game's on Wednesday. The game's on Wednesday, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um. The, the last three minutes of the second half, um, Steph starts putting. Or the first half, excuse me. Uh, the last three minutes of the ste- uh, first half, you see Steph start scoring again in Game Two, um, and that's where I kind of point to and say that's where Steph starts spinning up again, uh, and it kind of co- it starts building and building, and you know you, the meat of the entire his entire performance last night was was that third quarter, and then the cherry on top. Um, was that from what? Forty feet away. It was. It, it was.
0: It was a step back three that should never. If anyone else was, takes it, that it shot, a, it was a Curry shot. It was yeah, a curry it was directly in front of Drake. Yeah. It was it's directly in front of the from from the from Drake
1: from the other side of the the kind of, That dude might as well have made the shot from the Oracle. Yeah. It was absurd. Um, I think if if he can shorten up that spool up time. Uh, that we saw in Game Two, and I think he will at Oracle. Um, it's it's a Game Five. It's a Game Warriors in Five.
0: Well, I want to talk about one more big thing, and this is one of the bigger shockers of the weekend, and that was Anthony Joshua going down in the heavyweight uh, boxing fight against um, against Andy Andy Ruiz Jr. I don't know if any of you guys saw a little bit of that clip, but you go on Twitter. And I, I was you know just browsing whatever. Anthony Joshua is is the top fighter in the world. Um, it arguably it, he's he's top two. Um, I can't remember who's the- uh, Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder is is the guy that people say we were one and one a. But uh, Anthony Joshua was um, sidestepping Wilder is what Wilder's camp has been saying. But Anthony Joshua goes up against Andy Ruiz Jr. and if you look at the picture <laughs> of this guy. I mean, I see Jay shaking his head. They called him the Mexican Butterbee. <laughs> he looks like uh, he he looks like your uncle that you see rarely. You know, yeah. he he's there he, he walking around. Looks,
1: he honestly looks like straight out of a live league like LA straight fight. It's if we're being completely
0: honest. If, if you put him in a lineup, a it's it's not like he he's fat. It's just if you put him in a lineup, he's fat. Okay, okay. If you put th- him in a lineup, you go what sport does this guy play and you, you probably say is beer chugging a sport you know yeah. it's 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 one of those things but he put on some haymakers to anthony joshua it was a, it was insane he was 12 to 1 uh, in some other places they had him 20 to 1 i think 22 but for for boxing they need a superstar and he was the first ever mexican heavyweight uh, to win the world title is this kind of a changing of the guard do you think that they could market him Andy Ruiz Jr as as the the uh the guy Americans can come around to?
3: I I think not. honestly and I could be wrong Max Kellerman is probably the best person to ask on this but I think that it was kind of a fluke. I think that Anthony, one hit wonder? Yeah, I think Anthony Joshua, Joshua was really uninterested in this fight and he was looking ahead to the next fight and he did not expect with the rest of the world for that to happen. He 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 wasn't checked in that fight and uh Ruiz took advantage of it. That's what I think. Sebastian. Hey
1: man, if if you capitalize on your opponents underestimating you, you know, it's it's look weak when you're strong and look strong when you're weak, right? Yeah. Well, and uh, if you can capitalize off of that, man, Sun Tzu said that and he did.
3: But we're talking about moving forward, like marketing him as the next great thing though.
1: Marketing him as the next great thing. Oh, that's Yeah, see. Okay. Yeah. Maybe maybe <laughs> I mean this is a big story out of boxing. You show anybody this, even if they're not big into fighting. And you just kind of market it as an underdog story, and that's a great story for boxing. Boxing has always been a premier sport, but a lot of people in the modern day don't really give it the due respect I mean, it deserves. Out, I'm talking about casual viewers. Yeah,
0: you got but you gotta root for. Him. You, you have Absolutely. to root for him. I don't Absolutely. think anyone. It's it's one of those stories where you it's look exciting. at it. Yeah, you you look at it. And it makes you feel good. Like this is the th- this is a guy that anyone anyone would want to root for. I don't think any. No one really even expected him to come into the ring like that. He got a—he had to DM for this fight. He put a direct message to a boxing promoter. He was the third, uh, the second alternate. Um, the first, the first boxer failed a drug test. The uh, second one pulled out, couldn't get an agreement. So he he had a month's notice, and in a month's notice, knocks down uh, the best boxer in the world. So. Second best, but well, I got you. <laughs> hey, uh, well, who's got the belt? You know, that's uh, no one. Well, he's got the belt now, yeah. so we'll, we'll we'll see where that goes. Um, but that's all we got here for uh, this uh, episode of Tomahawk Talk. Uh, we are hoping new release is going to be next. Uh, we, we don't have anyone in in the booth as of right now, but we'll uh, get around to that. Thanks for Sebastian, for Alex, for Jay, and Brett over there on Twitter. Um, I am your guest host. Luke Fay. Nick Carlisle will be back in the studio next week. Um, That's all we got for Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, The Voice.